0: From Wall Street to Main Street, there are stories to be told, where knowledge learned on the street is as powerful as knowledge learned on the streets. This is the Financial Recon Podcast, where we introduce you to the people, places, and things that have helped shape our environment and will help shape yours. Welcome to The Conversation.
1: Thanks for joining us again. This is Mike Molotaris, and welcome to part two with Dr. Brad Klontz. Uh, One special note I'd like to make before this episode is we're going to touch on some topics that may be of politically sensitive nature, and it's just my intent to make it crystal clear we are not taking one side nor the other. We are just using it to facilitate a discussion of behavioral finance and financial psychology topics. I hope we can just leave it at that. So please enjoy part two with Dr. Brad Klontz on the Financial Recon Podcast. Okay, and here's I'm uh, happy to uh, introduce Dr. Brad Klontz back with us again for episode two of uh, The Money Mammoth. And uh, we're going to keep diving into some uh, great behavioral finance and financial psychology topics. Before I get too far into it, I would be remiss not to ask you about how you gained such a following on TikTok and how you became the, uh, the man on there.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm slightly embarrassed you're bringing it up. Um, no, so I, uh. I actually um, I spent about 20 years, I don't know if you know this, Mike, working in a no. high school um, with kids. And so I had a significant part of my life as a clinical psychologist was working directly with high school kids. And I was doing it simultaneously while I was building up um, this part of my career too. So, and I would, I was sort of titrating down, but essentially the bottom line is this, is that I have a passion for educating people, um, Mm -hmm. obviously at the university level. But as I mentioned in the last episode too, I grew up lower income, right? So I actually have a passion towards um, trying to help me when I was that age. You know, and and when I was growing up, I didn't know any wealthy people. I, you know, I I, my dad knew some business owners in town, um, but I didn't know what they did. I didn't know what they did with their money. I don't know how they thought about investing. I was clueless. And so then, when I was got out of grad school in my late twenties, I ran across investing, and I'm like, oh man, I'm going to get into day trading. Mike, is that what rich people do? (laughs) Um, And so. So I had $100,000 in student loan debt. I'm like, man, I saw a buddy of mine make $100,000 in one year trading stocks. And I'm like, this is how I get out of debt. So I did what any reasonable person would do. I sold all my possessions. Um, I sold my truck. I bought a $500 car that I drove. And I put it all in the stock market. And Mike, man, I got to tell you, it was an incredible three months. And then the dot-com bubble burst. And so I caught it right then. It's probably good that I caught it then because if I'd caught it two years before that, I would have run up a few hundred grand and thought I was an investing genius and then lost it all. (laughs) So I I didn't, luckily I didn't have a lot of success before I lost it all. Um, But essentially, yeah. So, so long story short, I am on social media um, strictly with a passion to try to educate lower income people typically, but middle-class also, and actually a lot of upper-class people too on money psychology and then you know, how rich people actually live their lives. And so, and as you know, Mike, we've done studies on who are these rich people? How do they spend their money? What is their psychology? And so I have found um, a lot of fun trying to find ways to make it entertaining, to help educate people on the true psychology and habits of, of wealthy people.
1: The The key thing that stuck out to me in the book, studies show that above middle class, there's no significant correlation between money and happiness.
2: Yep, that's right. And so this research is constantly being challenged, and there's new studies coming out all the time. And and there's, um, you know, there's intricacies there. Like it can you can actually have more money and be happier depending on how you spend it. But this is just sort of on average in general across cultures. And this study's been replicated a lot. So um, there's always caveats to it. But the bottom line is this goes back to our wiring as human beings. Like um, we're very very much focused on where we are relative to the other people in our tribe. And in psychology, we call it relative deprivation. And so the bottom line is you can feel extremely wealthy if all you have are three goats, if everyone else around you has one goat. And that's sort of the key to happiness is where are we relative to other people? And so it's really, really incredibly powerful. You need to be aware of your comparison group you know? So I, on a personal example, I lived on, um, in Hawaii for 20 years. We recently moved to Boulder, Colorado. And I sort of joke with my wife. It's like, man, I went from one of the wealthier people on the block to one of the poorest people on the block. (laughs) Um, and, and what's so interesting is, um, you have this natural thing that pops up. Like it was, it was so funny about six months ago. I was like, told my wife, you know, we got to get a sprinter van, you know? So you have these things and they just like find their way into your consciousness and you're, and one day I was walking to work because I, I love it. I live in a spot where I walk or bike to work. And um, I was looking around and I, I just had this like, I'm like, I saw I started to count. And on my way to the office, I walked by 10 Sprinter vans. <laughs> and so it's like, no wonder I had this compelling need that just emerged inside of me subconsciously about why I needed to have a sprinter van. And the scary part, Mike, is I had all these rational reasons. This was a very well-structured argument that I could easily put on a spreadsheet and convince a room of 10 people about why this was the right move. I mean, I had this really intricate argument. Um, and, and by the way, this is happening to all of us constantly. And it's happening in your subconscious. Um, and this goes back to what I said in the first episode too, is don't trust your instincts because these things are going to find their way into your consciousness. You're going to have all these reasons why you need to do it, but just understand this. This is because you feel like you have one goat and people have three. That's all this is. This is that tribal brain we all have that has led to our survival. It's like, Hey, where I am relative to my tribe. If people didn't care about that, they died off a long time ago.
1: So like keeping up with the Joneses, would you say? The, absolutely,
2: so keeping up great. with the Joneses just understand this this is how we're hardwired, and so you have to be aware of that if you want to overcome it
1: you know you you, you mentioned um about doing just on social media educating people, and one thing that you kind of reminded me of is uh, typically at this time of year, I'm working in a middle school here in, uh, the North Carolina, Cary, North Carolina area. And I work with a teacher, uh, for about three, we've done it about three years and we do the stock market game, things like that, financial education, financial literacy. And there was a uh, project they had to do for like an essay contest or uh, some, and this Hispanic girl, she did fantastic. I mean, not that she, no reason other, she just did great. Like she really put her effort in and you know, the teacher came up to me and said, you know, like she's not having some of these conversations potentially at home. And I was like, didn't think about it. And then I thought to what we talked about through your program and like right there in that instance, was my opportunity to help change someone's money script. We may have set that trajectory to, she may She may find a passion for it and continue on. She may not, but by being present through these different mediums, it's so powerful. And I, I applaud you for being out there. And I think we all need to do more of that and get out there to make sure people understand that, you know, these are the different ways you build wealth. It's not just like you said, cash in everything and put it on red at the casino and, you know, let it ride. But back to the book real quick, you talk about there something that I find it's kind of relevant to our current situation in the world. And that is, you talk about an extinction event, like the, the woolly mammoth had, do you think, The events at the Capitol back at the beginning of January were our precursor to our extinction event?
2: Well, it kind of felt that way. Um, Seeing images of people like literally wearing like skins and horns (laughs) since we're talking about, you know, sort of tribal um, times. Yeah, and so so I think it felt that way for many, many Americans who are watching that. And by the way, both sides of the political um, aisle, I mean, I think it, people were freaking out regardless of who, well, who they voted yeah. for and, and what their political affiliation was.
1: It just jumped at me because of, you know, like you said, status, right, of three goats to one goat. So the people who had the one goat are feeling left behind, I felt, and, you know – I, 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 in my eyes, it looked like that was a catalyst to that. Would you agree? Yeah, or? I, I mean,
2: what I saw was a group of people who, um, you know, and, and this happens all throughout history. Anytime you see something like that, um, right. and it, it sort of, I think it with the black lives matter protests and everything, it's like a real similar thing when people feel like they're really disempowered and nobody's listening to them, mm-hmm. you know, that's when I think people have a tendency to engage in the, in like, um, violent behaviors, let's just, let's, let's go beyond protest, which everybody should be, everyone should feel great about protesting, whatever it is they want to protest. But like, once it moves into that realm, it's usually people who feel real, a sense of real disempowerment and nobody's listening to me. Um, And so they, they feel somewhat desperate. Um, And so it's just something I think as a society to be aware of, it's like, we we need to make sure that people um, have a place where they can feel heard, number one, and number two, where they, they can feel like they can have an impact on their own life on their own upward mobility, if we bring it back to money. I mean, I feel like people, when they don't feel like there's any possible road for them, that's when people start to feel desperate. And and so actually one of the things I do on social media is this false belief that people have, like, oh, I can't become wealthy, right? Because of my Mm -hmm. upbringing, because of my parents, because of where I was born. And so one of the things I would do in, in high school is I would just do a really simple compound interest calculation. And I do this on social media all the time. And so $5 a day, If you had a 10% return Mm -hmm. in 42 years, it's a million dollars. And what's so fascinating about that very simple math is people's automatic response to that. Um, and, And it's so curious on social media. 42 years, who wants to wait that long? And that tells you a lot, right? That's a money script. Right. You're believing that. Um, you're believing that that's actually not how most people become wealthy, which, which, in a, which, as a matter of fact, is actually how most people become wealthy: <laughs> is they save, you know, get there faster, save more, you know. Um, but I just use that as a simple example, and it really pulls up a lot of money scripts for people.
1: Yeah, I totally can see that, and and that's where you know that question stemmed from. Is reading the book? It's like I could see people feeling that desperation. I I just envision it as I'm turning the page, like this is going on in the world. And out of that desperation, I feel like, you know, the interdependence and independence are two things we're going to see continue to, it's the best word, I I guess, grow like within um, family units. What would you say around that?
2: Yeah. So independence and interdependence I I find it fascinating, like, even politically, too. It's like, um, you know, there's... We throw terms around, like, socialism and capitalism, and there's all these, like, ways that we separate ourselves out and we make the other people bad. I just find it a fascinating concept. Like, like, the irony in the United States is we are very fiercely independent. And by the way, I feel this in my bones, you know? Like, I'm Mm -hmm. an American. It's independence. And what's so fascinating, though, is if I sit around and look around what's happening in our country, there's a lot of dependence going on, right? Like people right. You know, go to college, you have trouble getting a job. So what do you do? Well, you go back and live with your parents, you know, um, where, there's a lot of dependence that goes on. And right. so essentially we live in a world of interdependence like that. That's the reality. Right. Um, and so I, I just think it's, it, it's a challenge, right? Like you, you, we talked about in the last episode relationships too. So how can I have my own sense of utility, my own sense of power, my own sense of uh, being able to be in control of my life within the context of my relationships, whether it's with the government or with my wife or with my children, because it's not all or nothing. And and it's trying to navigate that. And for me anyway, I think it's really important for my children. I want to instill instill in them this understanding that if they want to be successful in life, it's on them. Like they need to take the right actions. They need to engage in the right behavior. And I'm really, really trying to instill that in them. But I also Mm -hmm. want to instill in them this idea that, if you fall, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to have to be homeless, you know? Right. Um, and, and actually my heart really goes out to people who don't have that type of family system where like quite literally, if they are literally on their own and if anything really bad happens, they can't rely on friends, they can't rely on family members. And so as a psychologist, you know, this is where I, I'm a fan of social supports. I really am right? not abusing them at all, you know, but I do think as a culture and as a society, like what, what's happened for us, is the tribe used to do that? Okay. So this whole idea of social supports being bad. Look, this this is how we're we are designed to need that because at some point we need help raising kids or we're gonna be older. This is how this and tribes used to do that for you. And what's happened as a society is we've offloaded that to society. That's literally what we did. Like you, you send your kids off to a school that you're offloading that to society. This is and so this way you can go work and make more money, etc. But I think it's just this fascinating dynamic of. Um, as a as a culture, as a country, uh, evolving into what is the what is the appropriate combination of having some of that social support while while nurturing that independence. That's not a great yeah. answer, but it's, it's this dynamic yeah. unfolding, I think, and an evolution. Uh, for us you know,
1: think. and and that's the thing is like I can see folks delaying retirement or like maybe becoming part-time because they are concerned about their children and being employed and so forth. And, you know, like you mentioned, like the tribe used to take care of it. And it reminded me of a, a role. I think it was Rolling Stone did an article with, or a piece on Larry David and why he like left New York city. And he said, cause like I used to get in trouble back. I get in trouble at school. And by the time I got home, everybody in the house knew what I did. You know, because everybody talked and you had, you know, little like little Italy or um, what have you in those those areas, economic and social units. And that interdependence is obviously, I think, gravitated or moved on to now we're just looking at our individual households like because we're all kind of moving along like I see that being a real speed bump for folks in you know going forward into their to their retirements so would you say at the same time because parents are so concerned about it that not just with retirement but other things it's leading especially with covid it's leading to a greater financial enmeshment like things are going to just get worse from that aspect with parents dabbling in their (laughs) you know kids worlds
2: Yeah. It's interesting. It's like, so for me as a parent too, like where is the line between enmeshment in in the sense that, um, the boundaries are too, you know, we're, we're too in each other's business. There's not enough freedom of expression for them, or they're feeling all this pressure from me, or I'm enabling them or they're dependent on me. I mean, it's like, it's like, who knows, you know, the proof's in the pudding. Like if you, if you want to know, um, you know, if, if your relationship with money is hurting your children is just, just look at their behavior. I mean, it, they're going to show you quite, quite simply, um, but also taking into account some of the wider cultural things, right? Like it's not as easy as it was to go get a great paying job right out of high, or right out of college. It's just not as easy. And so right. how can we be, uh, offer that support? And interesting culturally too, you know, we used to have, have way more social supports like 30 years ago, there used to be these things called pensions, right? And pensions were just something you got at your job. And a pension was like, hey, don't worry about it, put in your hard work, and then the pension's going to take care of you all the way until you die. Well, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that the average American got the memo, you know, but in the last 20 years, there, there aren't any more pensions, right? And so this thing is sort of was was something that the tribe put on society, society took this over, and then they just dumped it back on the individual. And frankly, but we don't we no longer have a tribe. And so now all of a sudden, this is this is what really concerns me about the United States right now, is that look. If you want security in your retirement, it is a hundred percent on you. And this is something kids need to understand. You know, like that's what a 401k is. That's what an IRA is. Like, hey, look, you have to be taking these actions yourself. Because I'm gonna tell you, like a generation ago, two generations ago, my grandfather didn't have to do any of that. It wasn't even part of his consciousness because he worked for Ford Motor Company and they had a pension and they were going to pay him with social security. And my and when he died, my grandma was going to get it, and he didn't have to worry about it. So he literally did not have to save. And so what's happened, though, is we actually have to do that right now. And this is where financial literacy, I think, is so important.
1: Yeah, the um, pension uh, situation. And if you have a pension, you have to be concerned whether or not it's going to be defaulted to PBGC, because that's The Pension Benefit Guarantee Corp, for those of you who don't know, because I've seen that with like Bethlehem Steel, so forth. Some of these companies don't adequately fund their pensions and uh, the airlines, they used to, you know, they were a big user of that, I believe. But you have to take care of yourself and, you know, whether it's a 401k, IRAs, what have you, just you got to start somewhere. I always tell people, you know, something is better than nothing. You can't compound zero. You know, so. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree
2: with you too. Like I get questions like that. Should I pay off debt first and invest? And like without knowing any other information, my general belief is that you should do both. Like you should, even if you have to invest lower now, because you got to say, I mean, just get the habits going and the earlier the better.
1: So uh, before we uh, uh, end this conversation, what is one behavioral like act someone can take after the, these two episodes and implement today that'll set them on the right course?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing that pops into mind is for me, what I think is just the most powerful wealth building tool that exists. Um, and what it is, is it's automation. So if you think about what happens when you go join a gym, if, if you've ever had this experience, so, you know, let's just say, oh, it's a new Year, new year's resolution. You know, you're going to exercise three days a week. You go in, you join the gym, and what does the gym do? Well, that somebody somebody met with a psychologist because they know exactly what to do. So what they do is they put you on an automated (laughs) payment plan, right? And so they automate automatically every month, take out your dues, and that way they don't you don't need to think about it, you know. Um, And so now it's a status quo item. So that money is just going. And what's so fascinating and powerful about that is. Have you ever tried to stop one of those payments? So first of all, you're going to have to jump through some hoops. You have to, you know, fill out some paperwork, whatever, go online. But more importantly, you're going to have to sit down with yourself and say, exercise is no longer important to me. <laughs> and that's the hard part because you know you need to be exercising. And so what happens is you will maintain a gym membership for months after you're using it because you're like, oh, I know I, I know, I should do this. So the, the thing is to use that tool to your own benefit. So get really excited about your savings goals. There's a couple other hacks here, like name them after something, like your kid's college fund. Um, mm-hmm. And and then just go in and just, it'll take you only a minute, automatically start moving money over there, set up that recurring payment for those financial goals. Make it your European vacation 2025. Because what happens is you're going to have an emotional attachment to that goal. You're going to automate that process and you're not going to go rob it. Are you, Are you seriously going to go steal from your child's um, college fund because you want to buy that bass boat? I mean, are you really going to do that? Chances are you're not. And so what happens when you automate towards a goal that's inconsistent with your values is before you know it, you achieve the goal. It's amazing. Very powerful. That,
0: that's
1: that's an awesome piece of advice. And, and the best part is you don't get ra- wrapped up in the emotions of up markets, down markets. It just does its thing. It Dr. Brad, thing. thank you very much for your time greatly appreciated. Um, these are just fantastic takeaways. Mike,
2: it's always, I love chatting with you. It's always fun. So thank you for having me.
1: And, uh, the book is money mammoth. Be sure to pick up a copy and in case, uh, anybody wants to follow you, what are some of the best ways to connect with you on social media, Brad?
2: So I am at Dr. Brad Klontz on, on every platform essentially. So,
1: Oh, nice. <laughs>
2: Standardization is the key.
1: (laughs) Well, thanks again for uh, coming on. I greatly appreciate it. And I hope everybody uh, got a lot out of these two episodes. It was a lot of fun catching
0: up with Brad. Thanks for joining us today. To continue the conversation, visit us at our blog, financial-recon.com. Appearances do not constitute endorsement of Flagship Wealth Management Group, LPL Financial, or any other entity discussed in this program. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. This information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax or legal advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific situation with a qualified tax or legal advisor. Dr. Brad Klontz
1: is not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial
0: or flagship wealth management group.